Welcome, Amalgamaniacs, Weeps from Anime Universe, Retroids from Retro Redoctopus, and all of our associated family and friends to your next installment of Amalgacast. I am the Madam President, Taryn Barber, and joining me tonight are Nicole Gibbons-Kurtz and Michelle Berger, both from the Slay Anthology. Now, last month, um, we did a preview to Slay where we had some of the authors, and Nicole was there too, and we gave um, kind of like a precursor, <laughs> you know, kind of like a preview to what, what, what was going to be in the book. We talked about some of the stories. You heard some readings. Tonight, we're going to be focusing on um, some of the stories in particular, talking about some characters that resonated with us. Um, and we'll also read some more passages from the story to give you guys an idea of what the anthology is all about and what you can expect in the event you haven't read it. Now, there may be some spoilers as we talk about the story. So if you don't want any of that, get the book, read it first, and then come back here and listen to this. All right. So, Nicole, um, you were on last time, and you talked about um, the book and how it came into being from an idea and all of that. Tonight, for listeners who didn't listen to that first cast, can you just give us a brief overview um, of the anthology as a whole? What's it all about? Um, how to come together, that kind of thing. All right, so Slay, <clears throat> uh, Stories of the Vampire Noir, is a collection of vampire and slayer stories from the African diaspora. So you have um, black vampires, black slayers, black hunters. Um, the idea came from um, just basically loss. We had lost uh, L.A. Banks, which was a, she was a phenomenal writer, but her Vampire Hunter series was amazing. And it kind of t had taken black vampires and slayers and planted it firmly in the black gaze. Um, and we hadn't. I know there are people who are writing like vampire stories, but it hadn't been done quite the way L.A. Banks had done it or with that level of success um, and reson that, that, that the ability to resonate with so many people. And so I, I wanted to have, uh, I wouldn't it be cool if we had like an anthology of stories that just focused on like vampires and slayers, um, but not just from the United States, but from all over the world. And so I put out a call for, I, I nudged some of my, some people that I wanted, authors that I wanted, some anchor authors first. They came, would you even be interested in this idea? Um, and was, received a real positive response and was able to like do open a call. And, and from there, Slay kind of grew um, from 15 original stories to 28. <laughs> so um, it's a large volume of, of basically really awesome vampire stories that you will not find anywhere else. Indeed. And as I was reading, it's almost like a preview of each author's talent. Mm -hmm. Because as I finished the stories, I was like, oh, I want more. <laughs> I want to know what happens. I want to read more. So it's, it's awesome in that, in that manner that you gathered so many talented writers into this one volume. And it's like an appetizer for reading more of their work, which I think is really, really cool. Can you talk a little bit about the organization of the book? Because I found that interesting, the different sections that it's organized into and why you chose to do it that way. <laughs> Oh, yeah, sure. So um, one of the things that we talked about was having stories from all over the place, um, from everywhere. And I didn't quite get as many of those as I wanted. Um, so we were like discussing whether we should. I chunked it so that you could, if you only wanted to read about, you know, stories from, from Africa, right, then you could go to that section and read just those stories. Or if you wanted to read about vampire slayers in the future, you could go to that section. Or if you were just interested in how, you know, slayers and, and vampires 
from, you know, the African diaspora active in the United States or in Britain, you know, you could go there. So I chunked it that way just so people can decide what type of stories or what area of the stories they wanted to read first. What about the obituaries? I found that really intriguing. <laughs> okay, I think so, each session has one. Yes. Yeah, so um, the obituaries were a, it, we had an Indiegogo uh, campaign fundraiser crowdfunding for the book back in March. And one of the perks was called the coffin. And it was, we would write a unique um, obituary for you and put in a sleigh between the stories. Um, and so I had uh, Ben um, illustrate and illuminate them. So I wrote the obituaries um, and Ben illuminated them. And so that's kind of what you have. They're just random. And all of them have some kind of quirky, mysterious death in relationship with vampires or slayers. But, you know, there's something other about the person's demise. Um, and so that's kind of where the obituaries came from. They are really cool. And I was, I thought they were real. from somewhere. And I'm thinking they're like from the 1800s. And I found it really interesting that they don't have dates. And yep. I was wondering if that was speaking to how death is timeless. You know, yep. And it's mortality within this text about these slayers. But it was, yeah. it was kind of really cool to run across those. Yep. I, I, I wrote them. So they're all, um, Yeah. I asked the people's name and their family names are, are, are true. Um, but they actually, their actual demise and how they died and, and they are meant to be ambiguous in terms of time. So yeah. you don't know if it was in the 1800s or if it, you know, very much the same way. Uh, some of the stories are kind of ambiguous. You don't know quite when they take place. Um, the obituaries are like that too. Yeah. And they look really cool. They look like newspaper clippings. Yeah, and I thought I was wondering, like, did this come out of <laughs> a newspaper in Louisiana somewhere in like 1850? But it's it's kind of awesome that they're they're sprinkled in there like that. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> no, they're and I love Ben's illumination of them. Right, the that's what you're the text. Um, it's just really cool that I that's probably one of my favorite things about the book, which has nothing to do with vampire slayers per se, like the stories, but the obituaries are kind of cool. Yeah, very unique. I love that, Michelle. How did you become involved in this project? Well, I was fortunate enough to be asked by Nicole to write a story for it. And um, Nicole and I met several years ago. And I've wanted to work with Nicole for, we, we both live in North Carolina. I'm always inspired by what she's doing, especially with the work that she does with Mocha Memoirs Press. So I was, you know, really excited. I think if she had asked me to write just about anything, I would have been like, okay, I'll do it because I get to work with Nicole. Um, <laughs> and I actually am not someone who, I mean, I, I, I enjoy vampire stories and I love vampire movies, but actually I had not ever written a vampire story, but I did not let Nicole know that because the right answer when someone like Nicole asks you to do something is always yes. And then you figure <laughs> it out later on. Okay. What kind of stories have you written before? So I have written across the speculative fiction universe, um, modern fantasy, science fiction, magical realism. I would say uh, everything though that I write tends to have some kind of edge of psychological horror, particularly around thinking about issues of race and gender. Okay. Um, your story in Slay, can you give us a preview of what that one is about? Just like a brief synopsis? 
Yes. Um, the story really explores the question, what would someone be willing to do to save their own kind? So it's an urban fantasy story. The world is made up of humans, vampires, fae, and other magical creatures. Um, and Shonda, my main character, she's an African-American vampire. She's sent undercover by the vampire counselor to investigate this national chain of high-end spas called Glamour Day Spas run by another vampire. And the vampire council believes there's some really shady stuff happening there. And so she's supposed to go and investigate. Okay, very cool. I did read um, part of your story. I flipped through and full disclosure, I have not read all of the stories in the anthology yet. Um, I'm kind of making my way through them. Um, and I described it before this cast. It's like having a piece of chocolate before bed um, <laughs> because they are... <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's, it's um, I like, I don't know, like a sneaky treat, you know, something that you do for yourself to just indulge. And the stories are like previews of the author's talent, which is amazing. So I did um, flip through your story. One of the elements I found interesting, Michelle, um, there is an explanation of, it's, it's close to the beginning of the story. And mm. the dead skin mm. on the vampire's body um, mm -hmm. was being eaten away. Mm -hmm. And there was a reference to how normally that bacteria wouldn't harm vampires, which mm -hmm. I thought was because <laughs> it's something I'd never <laughs> thought about. I was like, yes, of course, if vampires are dead, they should be, you know, rotting and eat getting eaten away, but they don't. So it's really interesting how you put that in there because the way it was stated was totally believable. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> Thank <why."> you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, they have this virus called cemetery rot. And so that's what's, even though they're, um, you know, not quite living in the way we think, they still, you know, have this infection that um, they can't kind of figure out what's going on. So that that plays a role too in the story. I'm glad, I'm glad that you that you like that. Nicole's probably laughing in the background because she knows I like writing about viruses generally. So <laughs> if I can stick a virus in somewhere, I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah, but it's awesome because normally you read about vampires and, you know, they have the, the normal tropes, they're immortal, you know, they don't age, etc. But there's never really any explanation. It's just like, they're just like that. Um, but they're made up of these human bodies. So it's, it's awesome that that was taken into consideration that even if they have become something else, they still have this, this human body and skin um, like we all have. Thank you. Oh, no problem. All right. So, fun part. Right, we are about to talk about some of the most memorable stories and or characters um, that we have read in the anthology. Now, like I said, I myself have not read through all of them, so I'll be speaking from um, the stories that I know. Nicole has read them all, <laughs> right. obviously. So, we're going to start with her. Um, and we're just talking about what stories <laughs> did you find yourself most drawn into and what are some of the characters or one of the characters that resonated the most with you? I'm telling you, man, you're asking me to pick like my favorite shows. <laughs> and I thought about that before with the question. I was like, okay, maybe not favorite. Um, so you don't have to pick one and say it's your favorite, just, you know, one that you remember most, like the, the most, um, I don't know, the one that you fall asleep thinking about when you were going through the editing process? So as I read them, um, even when I was going through Slush, like these are the stories that had the most, the most emotional impact um, on me as a, as a, as a person, as a reader, that they, uh, many of them lingered long after I was done reading them. It kind of haunted 
you know, they hung around. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the stories, like, those are the stories that went into the, I'm going to keep them. That's definitely going in the anthology right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of those stories was um, Stephen Van Patten's um, The Retiree, um, which is a, basically a, a daddy-daughter story. Uh, the retiree is about this grumpy old guy who's like hates her daughter's choice of husband, hates his daughter's choice of husband, and is is being moved into a retirement home because um, he can no longer look after himself, according to his daughter. Um, and of course, he's begrudgingly going to do this. But what we discover during the course of the story is that nothing that we have been presented with at the beginning is actually, you know. There's so much more to him, right? Um, and I won't spoil the ending, but I was in tears when I finished it. Um, like crying, like mad's not crying. Um, because I'm a daddy's girl. And it, it, and, and it, it just, it, it, you don't get very many examples of like father-daughter love. Um, in horror, you know, I know you, you think about Lovecraft Country and George's love for D, mm-hmm. um, but you, <clears throat> but that's really recent. Um, and so that kind of, the, the retiree is one of the ones that just kind of sticks with me. Um, I also enjoyed um, Samantha Bryant's um, His Destroyer, uh, only because it's so completely terrifying. Um, I don't know if you've read that one. Um, uh, you just took one of the ones I was going to talk about, Nicole. But okay, <laughs> go, go for it. Okay, but uh, I'm, I mean, we, you can you can hop in on this too, Michelle. But that is um, that one. It's it's not as long as the other. It's very brief, but it is. It's it's like a I don't know. I even know how to explain it. It's just so disturbing, um, and not in a slasher or violent kind of way. It's just you have this. Um, it's during the 10 plagues of Egypt. It's the 10th plague, right? You have, you know, God using basically a vampire as the angel of death. And you have this vampire, it's her. She avoids the buildings that are marked with blood, but at the same time, it's yearning for blood, needs blood, right? She's a vampire. Um, And she, of course, takes that out on the children, uh, the firstborn sons of Egypt um, that don't have their door marked. It's, it's, it's haunting. It's, it's horrible um, because these are kids, right? Um, And it's God, (laughs) it's God, right? Who says, okay, you're, you're going to be my destroyer against the Egyptians. It's just a very complex and, haunting story like that I just sat with my mouth open when I was done with it I was like oh my goodness wow um so that's one of the other ones um that kind of sticks with you but there are more um I like Miranda J Riley's Rampage um only because the the elephant is a vamp is a vampire um it, it they're <laughs> they're the, the, my Diary of a Mad Black uh, vampire that one's great um uh, by Dicey um yeah, just just yeah. <laughs> I like I can gush all. I mean, seriously, I can gush about all of the stories. Um, yeah. 
But those are the ones that kind of like hit you in the gut. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Michelle, what about you? I would love to talk about a little uh, Alicia McCullough's The Last Vampire Huntress. Um, that is just, a, I feel like, a wonderful, just punch you in the gut. So Kendra, the main character, is a, is a vampire hunter um, who is trying to avoid this prophecy. And you, you know, the reader is led on this journey of her dealing with um, her ex-lover who is... Uh, you know, really maniacal and doing things that she doesn't want him to do. Um, and you follow kind of the, the tension in the story is she, you don't know quite what the prophecy is and you don't know how damaging it's going to be to her. But as you walk with this character, she is, you know, desperately trying to do everything so that this prophecy isn't triggered and trying to contain her um, crazy ex-lover. And I, I just felt you know, I think emotionally for me, just the sense of um, in the wake of the Me Too movement and kind of male violence toward women, there's just something that has an edge to it that's really powerful. And even though it's also it's also a very compelling tale about, you know, a vampire trying to avoid this terrible prophecy, but it's got this other layer to it. And it just it just blew me away at the end. That That's one that I also felt... Um, kind of this emotional punch in the gut at the end and, and didn't see, didn't see it coming. So um, yeah, I don't know if you've had a chance to read, read that, that story. Um, I also really enjoyed Samantha Bryan's story as well. Um, so it's, it's, there's so many wonderful, I feel like one of the, the great things about this, this collection too, is that there, there are writers that people will recognize if they read it in speculative fiction and horror, but there are so many, Nicole's found so many, you know, newer writers or maybe just writers that people don't know as much about. And it's fun finding new voices as well. Yeah. And that's what reading this anthology has been like uh, for me. I'm discovering all these new authors and then just re-engaging um, with the love of reading just for the sake of reading. I am an English teacher. So normally when I'm reading mm. something, it's for that purpose. Um, or um, it has something to do with um, the business side. So I'm reading comic books or, or manga or um, stories that I'm going to be doing something with, um, as opposed to just reading because I love to read. So it was nice to reconnect with that too and to discover not only these new authors, but these new um, topics, these new takes on vampires and slayers. Um, yes. So it's, it's like discovering something about myself too as, reading, as I'm reading, and that's always amazing. So um, Nicole stole my answer too. Yes, <laughs> I love. Did I? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's okay. The retiree was amazing. Uh -huh. It's interesting because what was amazing for me wasn't so much the um, the daddy daughter relationship, which I thought was hilarious. By the way, like you said, he <laughs> hates her choice of husband and has yes. no problem telling her. <laughs> Yes. And her kids are idiots. And he just like says it just flat out. They're always on the phone. <laughs> that kind of thing, which was incredible, that, that bluntness. And it reminds me a lot of um, some of the men in my family who can just mm -hmm. be blunt um, when telling you about yourself. So that was incredible. Um, and then, like you said, we find out um, something about this man at the end that was just totally out of nowhere. But it was so cool. And in reading the story, I was like, I want that man's story. <laughs> like, I would love to read a book about this character and, um, and what his life must be like, because he ends up being just this total badass. Yes. 
Yeah, it was like this this tantalizing, you know, um, this little tantalizing bit of information because <laughs> it happens close to the end and then it's done. And I'm like, man, I got to find a book about this guy. <laughs> like, when is that part coming? Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was really cool. Um, and another one, Desiccant by Craig yes. Lauren Skidney, the um, first story in the book. Mm-hmm. When I remember I first started reading this, I was like, okay, you know, normal story. Like I'm waiting for something to happen, like monsters to start jumping out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there, it was almost this throwaway line where she's talking about waking up with this red dust on her. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that uh, maybe like three times. Like, what? <laughs> Who wakes up covered in dust? And then that that element of the story begins to evolve. And it's so frightening because it's not just dust. You know, it turns out to be um, a lie in a sense. Yes. So it's, it's mm-hmm. almost like a play on the idea of the virus um, and of, of things like just molds. You know, these these tiny little things that can get inside you um, and just completely desiccate your body, um, which was pretty awesome. And then it has some pretty heavy um, or important topics contained within, like um, the experience of being a minority, um, living in a place or in a situation where people don't care about your opinion and society doesn't care about what happens Mm -hmm. to you. So you had that. And then you also had the idea of um, gender fluidity, this character who um, had started living as a man and talked about, again, very briefly, the challenges with that, with his family and the church. But as the story is being told, she's a woman. And part of her evolution is deciding to not be that person who's afraid of what other people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and standing on her own and, and doing something about a problem that she sees, which was which was pretty awesome as well. Mm-hmm. All right, oh my gosh. that story has like so much yeah. going on, and you do you want more of it after you're like, wait, what? Yes, exactly. But <laughs> that was another one. It's like, but what happens? What happens? I have to so know. so Craig and I. So I I I think the larger issue because is that is the story, right? The story is her journey, right? That's right. the story. Um, and so it does, when she decides, I'm going to take care of this, I'm going to handle this, I'm not going to be afraid of this, I'm going to fight back. That's the, that's, that's it. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> I too was like, what? So I had to sit <laughs> for a while. I did. I had to sit with it a while um, before I started really thinking, okay, that's why that's the end because that's their arc, right? Uh-huh. Beginning, they were here at the end they are now here and so yeah and it was I, also interesting that what she was experiencing was real that she would ask other people about it and they would say well yeah you know that dust has been a problem nobody cares about it and she brings it and shows it to her friends so it wasn't a situation where this was all in her head like Mm-mm. this was literally happening mm-hmm. um, and just nobody cared and nobody was willing to do anything about it People were so used to not having like sanitary conditions not yeah. having you know, the rust and things, those things being a part of their living condition. Uh-huh. This is just one more thing. Right. And she's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> this is not normal. <laughs> um, but yes, exactly. The, the whole story, that, that one is, yeah, that one did. That's why it's first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I was reading it, I was thinking, why is this first? And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it kind of sets the tone for the whole volume. Like every story you encounter will a, be multi-layered um, and B 
has some impact, you're going to have to sit with it afterwards. Um, and it's not conventional vampire uh, mythos. Yeah, because these, these monsters, these entities were um, microscopic. They were tiny. So this wasn't like, you know, the boogeyman <laughs> jumping out of the closet. This was something mm-hmm. super, super tiny um, that right. was deadly, had devastating effects, which is uh, frightening. <laughs> you know? yes. I, I don't know if, that, if that's scarier <laughs> than having, you know, the giant um, vampire, the giant werewolf or monster or whatever jump out at you. It's having something that's so small you may not even you don't realize what it's doing to you. It's your brain infected, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that it's like leeching off your body. It's so crazy, right? It's just, it was a fantastic piece. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't know, if you're not familiar with Craig's work, he is a, a true talent, um, just a brilliant author of uh-huh. the weird. So, yeah. And the, and the title character's name, I was pronouncing it Tichuba. Uh-huh. Okay. And As in Tichuba from the Salem Witch. Salem, Street. right. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Which is a cool element as well. I like that. <laughs> All is right, we are. That's taught, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I... <laughs> we actually have another one of our podcasts, Amalgam Files. They went to Salem uh, this past weekend. What? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they went to Salem. Um, and yeah, they were covering the Salem witch trial. So they actually went on location and recorded up there which is kind of awesome. So when I read the story, I was like, oh, wow. Tichuba. Yeah. And I remember um, I, that, that person had always been intriguing to me, reading about what happened with her. So it's, it's kind of awesome that she was kind of resurrected in this character. Yep. Okay, we are about to go to commercial break. Um, you are going to hear about a contest that we're having right now for our Epic Airways podcast network. So stay tuned, listen up for that, and then we will be back. It's time for the first annual Epic Airways Podcast Network Scarathon. Eight great podcasts, nine amazing episodes, one epic prize to win. Listen for the keywords in each episode, then put all words together to form a single sentence. From October 22nd till Fright Night itself, October 31st, listen to these great shows. Amalga Cast, Amalga Files, Epic Tales Podcast, Epic Tales of Darkness, Epic Tales from the Sewers, Retro Red Octopus, Those Not-So-Super Dudes, and Throwdown Thursday. Be sure to check out the post in Amalgamania for official rules, details, and prize. Good luck, and stay creepy. And we are back. So as you just heard in our commercial, you are listening for a special word from this episode. And this is the very last word. This episode is airing on Halloween itself, October 31st. So the last word that you're listening for is actually a contraction. Two words put together. I've. I apostrophe V-E. So I've is the word that you are listening for. Remember that you are taking that word, putting it together with the other eight words from the shows that you listen to, and sending them to Andy Doyle. So you're sending him the word and the title of the podcast you heard it from. First person to put those words together to form a sentence gets an Epic Airways Podcast Network t-shirt with all the cast listed. You get a set of Scarathon coffee mugs and you also get a surprise horror-themed action figure. All right, continuing on talking about Slay. Nicole, what has the reception been like so far for this anthology? We are getting lots of great reviews um, on Goodreads and on NetGalley and 
Um, I was at FireCon and people were like, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm, you know, very excited about it. So we do have some buzz. People like the diversity of the stories. People are enjoying that there's something like this out there where they can go and especially teachers and librarians have been posting on NetGalley about how it's a perfect example of diversity and like with this vampire mythos and how they're very happy to have just this volume of work um, being just kind of this revolutionary new thing um, where they just, they can go to and recommend for their horror loving students, like high school level, of course, because <laughs> you don't want to yeah. give up to any middle grades. Um, but yeah, so it's been really very well received. People enjoy it and people seem to be loving it. Um, everyone has different stories, of course, that are their favorites. Like we had tonight um, when um, reviewers call out different stories that resonate with them. It's always, a, it's always different. Um, <laughs> because they're different. So yeah, it's been really well received. And I could see definitely using this in the classroom because um, unfortunately with a lot of horror stories, especially the more contemporary ones, mm -hmm. um, the story itself might be good, but it's not very well written. So I think in this, you're like, and, and again, reading as an English teacher, <laughs> <laughs> I find myself sometimes editing books as, as I read them. Um, but with this, like, that wasn't an issue at all. Like, you could teach writing with this collection, which is, mm -hmm. you know, awesome. So the storytelling, but, you know, the style of the writing and, and the different styles that you see throughout the stories, like, you could pull yes. examples mm -hmm. from this. So you have these awesome stories that kids would be interested in, but you're also showing them examples of what good writing looks like. So I can definitely see why the teachers and librarians are hyped about this. Yep. <laughs> and as a former English teacher, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Michelle, what about you? What kind of reactions have you gotten to your story so far? I have gotten, well, I, I, before I say that, I just want to say, um, echo what you're saying about kind of the breadth and depth. I mean, people are super excited about the collection. And I think they're also intrigued because there's first person narratives, there's third person narratives, there's great story structure. And like you said, the writing is, is just phenomenal. So I um, just want to Kind of anchor that. Um, I have gotten really great feedback. Um, people find the story Blood Saviors compelling. Um, there's, they feel like it's a fresh idea. Um, I think at the end, um, people wanted uh, maybe a little bit more. So I'm getting like, well, is this, are you going to do, you know, perhaps do a novel on this or is there more <laughs> stories? But I think that's true as Nicole said earlier for uh, many of the stories that there is a sense of um, good emotional arc ending. And then there's been so, so much world building that people are like really interested in what's happening mm -hmm. to that character in that world. So are you writing a novel? Uh, I, I am putting that on the good ideas list. I, okay. I, I have a novel that I um, am contracted with Falstaff Books to finish a horror novel that will take place in the Great Dismal Swamp. So I'm really trying to uh, finish that. But I, I just got so wrapped up in writing Blood Saviors and doing the world building that I, I do, I want to return to it. So I, I'm hoping that I can. And what were you hoping to accomplish with this story? What did you want readers to come away with? Well, I really wanted them to wrestle with the kind of moral choices that Shauna faces by the end of the story. And as I said earlier, you know, one way I think about the story is like, you know, what would one group be willing to sacrifice um, in order to save their own kind? You know, would they be willing to enslave another race of being or type of beings? And so Shonda, um, 
she finds some very disturbing things when she goes into the lab um, at the day spa. And, um, you know, on the surface, it looks like humans are using a particular product and looking much younger, but there's something much more sinister going on. So she kind of wrestles with, um, once she, she finds it out, she wrestles with kind of this moral choice. And so I wanted readers to kind of feel the weight of that. And um, I think it, you know, it also speaks to other kinds of moral choices around freedom and community and, you know, who gets to do what. So wanted wanted some echoes of that in the story. And when you said that, I immediately thought about World War II. Mm, and, um, yes. And the propaganda and mm-hmm. the element of, of um, not only scapegoating a segment of the population, but also dehumanizing them so that it's okay Absolutely. to exterminate them. So, and I think that's an extremely uh, prevalent idea now. Yes. Yeah, so oh, yes. That, that's very cool. But that immediately popped into my mind when you said that. So it's awesome that, yeah, you're taking all that idea and making it more contemporary, which is really cool. All right, we are going to do some readings um, of not necessarily favorite passages, but passages <laughs> that we like <laughs> and that we wanted to share. And it's to give you a sense of what we're talking about, these different writing styles um, from these different stories. So um, does anybody want to start? I'm, I'm happy to start, unless okay. Nicole, unless you want to go first. Yeah, and I'm asking because last time Nicole stole everybody else's stuff, so. <laughs> oh, <laughs> which is why I'm, like, not saying anything. I'm like, I'm going to go last. <laughs> okay, all right, so, Michelle, you go ahead, um, and then I'll go, and then we'll save Nicole for last. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. So, I'm, I'm actually going to read. I haven't ever read, haven't yet read from Blood Saviors, so I'm really excited to read on your podcast, um, and... Uh, we're a couple of paragraphs in. Um, she, Shonda works, she's doing undercover work at the Glamour Day Spa, but there's no one around. It's on the weekend. And so she is trying to find out what is going on. She descended several flights of stairs and finally came to a door that opened into a large lab. The lights flickered on and Shonda gasped. Lined across the back wall were dozens of steel cages big enough for dogs. In each cage lay an unresponsive or dead earth elemental. A fetid smell of decay, like rotting mushrooms, pervaded the lab. Racing over to them, she took in their misery. Their usually bright, golden-colored wing, humanoid bodies were covered in sores and ugly black bruises, mostly on their backs, eyes closed. Some sat staring ahead with vacant eyes. She ran her hand across the cages, looking for life. She had only seen Earth Elementals once at the gathering of the Sovereign Society's Ball when she was a child. A memory tickled as she recalled how they carried themselves with an aloof dignity. She did, they didn't say much, unlike their talkative and flamboyant fake cousins, the fire, water, and air, air elementals. It was rumored that their magic, though, was the oldest and most potent among all elementals. She said in a loud voice, I'm Shonda French with the Vampire Counselor, Vampire Council. I'm here to help. A small chirp sounded from a cage to her left and Shonda ran over. The magical creature sat slumped in the corner of the cage. Its gummy eyes barely opened and it wheezed as it tried to speak. She grabbed the bars of the cage and pressed her face against them. I'm so sorry you're here. Can you tell me what's happened? It turned its head a fraction toward her. Go life cream, it whispered. 
As if the force of the speaking stole its life, the creature's head drooped and drawing in a quivering breath, it collapsed. She needed to get them out of here. I'll transport them to my car, she thought. Not wasting time smashing the cages in, she used her telekinetic skills. I need to be careful though, I can't get drained. A green bubble formed in her mind's eye as she concentrated on the living earth elemental. At the moment, the pulling action of transport initiated, blinding pain surged through her body. Shonda released the mental hold and fell back. Ah, that hurt! The cages were somehow magically fortified with the dark energy that she had only read about in her training. Okay, that didn't work. I don't know what the hell I'm dealing with here. And I'll stop there. There is something magical about an author reading their work. It just... Oh. I, I can't explain oh, it. Oh, thank you. But it's, it's incredible. So um, I want to read more because that's a story that I actually haven't read in its entirety yet, but I want to now um, after hearing that. So amazing level of detail. And like we mentioned before, amazing writing as well. Oh, oh thank you very much. That's oh, very you're kind. <laughs> so I am actually going to be reading from Desiccant. Um, so this is about in the middle of the story. So we have Tichipa um, and Ty, who is another person who lives in the building. Um, Tichipa has, has been trying to get in touch with uh, the building manager, the landlord, and she hasn't been able to. Um, and Ty and Tichipa are outside his door and he decides to just break in. So they pop open the door and then that's when this passage starts. Ty and Tichipa were immediately hit with a wave of stale air that, held, that had a slight cindery taste. They simultaneously began coughing in response. There was also another smell beneath that one, a smell of turned meat and the coppery tang of old blood. A haze of carmine simmered in the room, thick enough that they, had both, that they both had to wave it away. The shades were drawn, so it was dim in the room. Oh my God, Tijipa said, after her eyes adjusted to the gloom. There was a body slumped over a desk. She knew that it was a corpse. The ankle of the head looked too uncomfortable to maintain, and the visible eye was open. She switched on the overhead light and immediately wished that she hadn't. The older gentleman was in a gray mechanic suit and his mouth was opened in a grimace. Dust pooled around the open mouth onto the desk. It was embedded on his skin, in his hair, and she could see flecks of it on the, in the whites of his eye. Ty walked around the desk, reached to touch the body. Leave it alone, Tichipa said. Ty lowered his hands and reached for his cell phone instead, presumably to call for an ambulance. Tichipa saw the wrinkled flesh, fold upon fold of thin skin, some of it so dry that the pigment had bleached out. It didn't look like skin. It was papery, cracked like old parchment, and in the folds of skin, remnants of the red dust gathered. His mouth was open and a crumbled pink tongue lolled out past black and crackled lips. He looks like a mummy, Ty said, after he finished speaking to the emergency operator. I wonder how long he's been here. Tichipa heard him, but she was distracted by the thin trail of red dripping down from the HVAC vent. Whatever lived there had drained the superintendent, had turned him into a husk. His skin had the same color and texture as a tamarind. She could only imagine the poor man's innards, the pulp toughened into sponge and coral. He's been sucked dry, Tichipa said. We're going to end up like him. And that's where I'll stop. And that, just that imagery of them finding this man and the way that he's described is so incredibly vivid. And that associated with the fact that it was this, this dust um, that they can't identify that, that did this to him. And then that final thought 
uh, they're going to end up like him. And of course, um, by the end, she has decided that she is not going to allow that to happen. But this is like the moment in the story where she sees what this dust is really capable of. So that was um, one of my favorite passages that I've read so far. Oh, my powerful. God. That story so much. Yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> powerful. All right, Nicole, what you got? All right, so I'm going to read from, <clears throat> I don't have a story in the anthology, but I do, I, one of the stories that I really liked um, was L.H. Moore's um, uh, I Think of Crystal Glasses Heard. And so I'm going to read from that one. Okay. So There was something about the way music made Nika feel. Like reading, she often felt transported, untouchable even. Nika's mother called upstairs to her, and Nika sat up, looking at the white Christmas light she had strung across her dresser mirror. She had a collection of little cat figurines on it, something that started with one, with one her grandma gave her as a little girl. She sighed as she responded to her mother's call, took out her earbuds, and came down. We're going out, her mother said, grabbing her purse and keys. Now. Her mother didn't say much during the car ride and looked over at her from time to time. The moon was full and bright that night, illuminating the night sky despite all the streetlights. Nika watched it and tried to keep it in her sight as her car made its way through the city streets. Where are we going? To be with the girls tonight. Nika's face scrunched up. This is different. I didn't know we were all getting together tonight. Well, the last of you had your birthday, so we thought we'd get together. Nika didn't know what to think. They had both gone to Layla's birthday party. It was lavish and over the top like everything Layla's mother does, and they had a great time together. Layla's family went all out for her. Nika couldn't understand all the fuss over a 12th birthday. 16? Sure. It seemed like a bit much. Her mother and sister took her out to eat, and she was happy with that. This still seemed unusual, though. She thought about how intently the mothers were watching them last month when they were there. She and the other girls had joked about it, dismissing their moms as weird like normal. No, something else was going on. She just couldn't put her finger on it. They were soon driving through what Nika thought of as the richest part of town and pulled up in front of a gate, Layla's mansion. She looked over at her mother, who was looking straight ahead as the gates opened and they drove in. She saw Zena's mother's car there, too, and started to really wonder what was going on. Layla's mother's op mother opened the front door, but she wasn't smiling like normal. She could see the other girls there looking just as bewildered as she felt and walked over to them. What's going on? Layla whispered. Girl, we at your house, remember? You tell us, Zena said, looking back at the mothers who were starting to walk towards the kitchen. Do not go to your room this time. Go and sit in the dining room, please. Layla Layla's mother called out to them. Nika was disappointed because she loved Layla's room. It was large and filled with what she thought was the best of everything, decorations and electronic-wise. She even had makeup. And although Layla had her moments compared to her mother, Nika thought Layla was really sweet and just wanted to be liked. The girls looked at one another again and went to the living room and sat down on one side of the mahogany table with Nika in the middle. For as many times as she had been to Layla's house, she never got over how sumptuous it was, like something out of a magazine. 
Her own house was nothing to sneeze at and was nice enough, but this house was something entirely different. From the furniture to the artwork, it was, excuse me, an interior decorator's dream. The mothers came in one by one, each sitting across from her daughter. We have something to tell you, Nika's mother said, and it is very, very important that you listen as your lives will never be the same. Well, way to be dramatic, mom, Nika said with a laugh. The other two girls joining in, they became quiet again pretty quickly when they realized their mothers were stone-faced in front of them. This is not a joke, Gina's mother said, using what they called her professor's voice. Many a university student had been given a lot to think about with it. Her long locks fell in front of her face. Not at all. <clears throat> Layla's mother then got up and came back with what looked like a vintage silver tray with crystal, carved crystal glasses on it. She set it down in the middle of the table and took one of the glasses herself, the other mother's following suit. Go on, Nika's mother said, pushing the tray closer to them. Oh, wow, Zena said. What's this about? Are you really letting us in your wine group? Once again, the mother said nothing. Their faces a mask. Each girl took a sip. They all looked up almost in unison and then looked at each other, confused. Layla looked down at hers. Uh, I don't think this is wine. Mom, you're right, honey. It is not. That's the, I'll stop there. Oh man, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> right? Cliffhanger. Oh my gosh. So I'm going to be up tonight thinking about what was in that glass and what it's going to do. Yeah. <laughs> All that. <laughs> and what was that? And that's a clink of crystal glasses heard. And mother-daughter stories. I mean, I feel like you've got the gamut. <laughs> Nicole, in terms of, you know, father-daughter, sibling stories, mother-daughter, just, yeah, I, I've heard you talk about that story, but I have not had a chance to, to read it or hear it. So that's really cool. Yeah. It, so uh, many of the stories in, the, even is Steve Van Sampson's story, a lot of those stories, um, Allegra Hurt's story, um, KRS McIntyre's story, they're all, they all have deep connections to family. Um, and I, I think, like, like KRS's McIntyre story, the wife spies her husband. It actually starts off with her seeing her husband, her dead husband, in the airport. He's been dead for 20 years. Wow. Yeah, so there, it's all about the, like, so that story is about the impact of, of, of vampires, right, on a family. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so good. Um, but there, all of, most of these stories, almost all of them have, uh, some connection to family um, and what it means to either that's found family um, in a case of like quadrille, um, which is uh, Colin Cloud Dance's story or, or your legitimate family like you see here with the uh, clink of gla crystal glasses heard or with the retiree or with, you know, uh, KRS McIntyre story. I mean, if I had to pick a theme, that's one of the themes that kind of travels through all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because that ends up being um, in some cases more of a focal point than the horror aspect of it, the relationships mm -hmm. between people. 
I think that's one of the reasons I think Stephen King as an author has been so successful because his works reside very heavily on characters and not necessarily on gore. Right. right. Um, and they're deeply and the stuff that they do is deeply troubling and horrific. Um, and so I, I think that that's, and, and it's, it's everyday folk. Right. And I think that's kind of what makes it truly, truly terrifying. A lot yeah. of his work is that it's, it's just ordinary people. It's, it's not always the monsters it's, it's that are afflicting these things, right? If you think of some of his most popular works, uh, like Carrie, or, uh, it, The Dark Half, or you know, any of those, Misery, it's ordinary people who are just nuts. <laughs> or, or, or make very poor choices. You know, they're yes. like in grief, like Pet Cemetery. you know, that's right, people right. who do bad things during a really stressful, grief-filled moments, mm-hmm. too. Or like needful things where people just disregard the red flags because they want X so badly. Yeah. Yeah, and then people struggling with everyday human emotions, like guilt. Like, I'm thinking yep. of 1922. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. Or in the tall grass. That uh, I'm not familiar with. Um, it's, a, it's a short story. It's a novella that he wrote with uh, his son, mm-hmm. Joe Hill. And, yeah, that one is, it's, you know, there's some guilt there. There's some, some shame, some running away from family. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know how in, I don't know if you guys have traveled to Nebraska or Kansas, but in the heartland, they have areas on the side of the road where the grass is really high. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And so these, this couple breaks down there and they hear someone screaming for help in the grass. Uh-huh. Um, and they go in the grass to help. They do not return. Um, uh-huh. There are lots of things in the tall grass that... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I usually it's just, it, it's also on net it was on Netflix it's a short it was a a movie or yeah a movie on Netflix um but it is also a novella that was included inside of one of I think Joe Hill's uh, short story collection but yeah it was pretty pretty awesome I gotta check that one out me too <laughs> all right we are about to wrap it up. Um, so we're going to talk about future projects, what we're currently working on, and then also where we can find more of the good stuff. So, um, Nicole, what other projects, projects are you working on and where can we find more of um, the projects that you've already done? All right. So I just finished, like literally last week, um, the second Kingdom of Avis mysteries. I, it's a fantasy mystery set in the Kingdom of Avis where everyone is uh, identified by their bird shot, by their bird family so um it's both avian and humans uh, together so um there are hawks there are condors there are owls um it follows my investigative uh hawk her name is prentice and she <clears throat> it works for the order and she is dispatched to different areas of the kingdom to see the unseen she has the ability through her bloodline um to see things that others cannot um, this ability, of course, comes with a cost. The more she uses it, the more her hawk ability, the more difficult it is for her to get her human eyesight back. And eventually, like her mother and her mother before her, she'll go blind. Um, but she's called to investigate the theft of the Five Feathered Crown. Um, and so she, this is the second book, the second novella. Um, the first book is Kill Three Birds. But the second one I just finished, it's off the beta readers, and it'll be out January 15th of 2021. Um, 
people can definitely follow me at NicoleGivensKurtz.net. You can sign up for my newsletter if you want to keep up with Prentice um, or support my Patreon where I do like give exclusive like cover reveals and other stickers and things like that um, to those people who support my Kingdom of Avis work. Um, but that's where you can find me. If you want to find other um, Black speculative uh, titles that we publish at Mocha Memoirs, you can find us at mochamemoirspress.com. All right. Uh, Michelle, what about you? Where can we find more of your work? And are you working on anything else currently? Yes. So I am working on this horror novel set in the Great Dismal Swamp. Um, that probably won't be out until 2021. But I would love for people, if they're interested in checking out um, my novella with Falstaff Books called Renew You. And that is about uh, basically, what if a trip to the beauty salon could kill you? It's about a virus that gets transmitted through an everyday hair care product, um, a natural hair care relaxer. So that is currently out. If you wow. like corporate conspiracy, hair, race and gender politics, female friendships, that's a novella for you. Um, come play with me at Michelle. I'm a, I'm a 1L Michelle, um, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-T Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R at Twitter or you can come visit me at my blog, The Practice of Creativity, which is michelleberger.wordpress.com. Awesome. And where can they get the Slay Anthology? They can get it at barsnoble.com, Books A Million, Amazon, and of course they can order it directly from us at mochamemoirspress.com. Just click on our shop or our store uh, icon. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so very much for joining me. Um, Nicole, again, <laughs> Michelle, for joining me for this second cast. Um, like the first time, this was absolutely amazing. So cool to talk to writers about their work. So I'm just really appreciating the fact that you guys took the time to hang out with me tonight and talk about this anthology and your work in general. This was so much Thanks fun. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Yeah. Oh, of course. It, it was amazing. And um, any other works that you want to come on and talk about, you are more than welcome. Um, you know how to contact me, so please do so. And it's not a problem. I'd love to have you guys on again to talk about um, some more of your other projects that you're working on. Will do. Thank you. And that is it for this episode of Amalga Cast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, again, this show is airing on October 31st, so you'll hear this on Halloween. Um, if you haven't listened to the other casts in the Epic Airways Podcast Network contest yet, go ahead and do so. Um, there's an Amalga, Fast, Amalga Files episode on Salem. They actually went to Salem and shot on location there. We have a review of The Haunting of Black Manor, um, and there are some other great horror-related topics. So if you haven't checked out those casts yet, do so, and you could win some awesome prizes. Thank you so very much for joining us, and take care.